This podcast is a project of the Mass Cultural Council. We believe in the power of culture, the arts, humanities, and sciences to enrich communities, advance equity, and foster creativity. These are spaces based on concentrations of wealth, and these are spaces that dictate certain values of beauty and taste. Hi, I'm Anita Walker at Mass Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Our guests today are Maya Chow and Josephine Davenbo. They're both artists, and they are the creators of something called Look at Art, Get Paid. Welcome to our program. Thank you. Now, the title of this project is intriguing. Look at Art, Get Paid. Most people don't put together the notion of, I'm going to enjoy and be inspired by art and somebody's going to pay me for that? What's this all about? Yeah. So we put our heads together because we really wanted to think about um, who gets to look at art and for whom is that a valuable experience? Um, And we wanted to sort of suspend the assumption that looking at art and going to an art museum is inherently valuable because it's also very much premised on one's background. So um, whether someone grew up going to museums, whether they felt welcome there. And so we decided we wanted to name the labor of going to a museum, going to a space that you have never been to before, especially if you feel like that space might not be very welcoming to you. So the idea is we pay folks who have never been to an art museum to visit an art museum as guest critics of the art and the institution. So uh, as I try to think about that from my own point of view, I might be somebody in a program called Look at Hockey Get Paid. (laughs) Because that's not where I come from. You'd have to pay me to do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really interesting. And we actually thought about that early on in the program and thinking about what is in, what's inherent about doing this at art institutions. And, and something that's important to us and that we say to all of our critics is that we aren't starting from the position that visiting art museums or taking in dominant culture is inherently necessary to living a fully expressed and engaged creative life. So I think the hockey analogy is important. You know, I don't feel guilty for not going to hockey games, and we don't think you should feel guilty for not going to our museums. Exactly. So part of the underlying premise of this, though, however, is that when you go into an art museum today, the visitors and audiences generally do tend to come from certain social strata, economic strata, um, ethnic backgrounds. Have you started to understand why that is? Yeah, so there are many studies that show um, that, you know, uh, art museum attendance is predominantly white, affluent folks, and as well as leadership in museums is predominantly white um, and affluent folks as well. And so for us, it's really looking at historically where these spaces come from. So um, I think, you know, thinking about the fact that um, these are spaces based on concentrations of wealth and these are spaces spaces that dictate certain values of beauty and taste and um, value that uh, are are very specific to the people who designed them. So uh, why why would an experience or a place that highlights a very white and affluent experience resonate with someone else? Um, And so that's sort of the question is, how can these spaces be a lot more uh, expansive in their ideas and in their values and what they communicate and represent. So thinking about how can we 
how can institutions that are coming out of a history that is uh, inherently, you know, a, a, a colonial product and, and, a, and a, a framework for a space that comes out of tr- producing a certain kind of knowledge and a certain way of understanding the world? And what does it look like for those institutions now to to work through trying to pivot and trying to become sites that really are for the whole public? And the good news is what we hear at the Mass Cultural Council is that many, many, many museums in our portfolio, all of them, I would venture to say, are asking these very questions. They're looking around the museums. They're thinking about their future sustainability, about who their audiences are, who lives in their communities. How can we be a place where everybody feels welcome coming and can get some, a benefit from the experience? However, how do we achieve that goal? So you started this project, Look at Art Get Paid. Now let's get into the weeds on it. How does it work? Yeah, so we started this project um, in 2015, and we were in Providence, Rhode Island, and we decided we were going to work at the RISD Museum. We were uh, students there, and so we thought, what if we cited this and tried this out at the RISD Museum? So we decided to run a bus ad um, in the public buses in Rhode Island, and the ad asked, does going to a museum, art museum, does going to an art museum sound like work, we'll pay you. Um, And so the idea was really just uh, alongside sort of these ads for sleep studies and for um, quitting smoking, having this ad about art and asking sort of what is the value of art today? Um, And so we then hosted, uh, we got about 200 plus inquiries from that advertisement. And then from there, we prioritized people of color, um, people who had never been to an art museum before, and um, as well as low income folks. And so we had 41 guest critics who came to the RISD Museum. And you and paid them. We paid them, yes. You really paid them. Like you just didn't give them a little bit. I mean, you actually gave them a wage. They each got $75 for that visit and for the insight and emotional labor that went into that. Yeah, so they were paid 15 an hour. That included a pre-visit interview beforehand. Then they came. We had a sort of orientation, a bit of introducing the space and the job of the guest critic. They then went into the galleries for two hours and then had a group critique at the end for an hour. Um, And then after that, we followed up with them um, and we said, you know, how, how did this experience land for you? Um, and for us, it was really important that we paid people in cash. And I think, you know, coming back to your question about, you know, how where do we go from here? How do we make this pivot? For us as artists, the potential in naming the elephant in the room and really talking about and centering issues of wealth and of resource opened up incredible opportunities for candid conversation. And by paying people cash to come to an elite space and speak about it from their perspective, we found that we were able to actually get into some of the really painful and complicated aspects of what it feels like to navigate these spaces from outside whiteness and wealth. And that rather than making things awkward, putting cash on the table literally and just talking about that aspect of of these spaces and how they read made it possible to get real. I mean, it is the coin of the realm, which is a kind of redundant phrase, but I mean, that is sort of the way the transactions work um, in our society. Mm -hmm. So uh, share a few stories from your critics. 
Yeah, so um, we had some critics came and they were actually excited to see that some uh, some of the some of the objects were um, had family history in them. So one person recognized like, hey, that's my family name. Um, many other uh, critics noticed there's nothing from my cultural heritage represented here. Um, so that was, there were definitely talks about representation. Um, there was also a lot of discussion of the surveillance. How does it feel to move through the space? How, how does that land for different critics um, to be watched and some feeling that, that they were followed, others feeling that the guards were very approachable, depending also on which languages they spoke. Um, so we ran the, the program in both English and Spanish. Uh, and a lot of the, the Spanish-speaking uh, critics spoke about, you know, how to navigate a museum that doesn't really have translation, that doesn't have language accessibility, and what that felt like in terms of who the museum is addressing. Um, so those were, uh, it was a really wide range of conversations, and I think we've seen a lot of exciting changes at the RISD Museum as a result, um, in part, of these critiques. So it's it's been we see look at our get paid as sort of part of a bigger movement and part a puzzle piece in in this movement toward diversification and equity so you can speak a bit to the changes if you want yeah so i think what we've really heard from staff and we've had the the pleasure of working with staff at the RISD museum closely from the initial realization and design of the program through looking at how can we position this knowledge to have, have impact and, and be useful at your institution. And I think the core thing that we've heard from staff is that while many of the issues that critics brought up are already on their radar and they're they're really committed to addressing these issues and they're folks that, that these are these are topics that are discussed regularly that hearing directly from folks who aren't part of their current visitor base in an engaged and in-depth way really had pretty surprising and rich potential to help bring up items that may be on the back burner to center stage and help galvanize existing initiatives. So for example, staff in the design department were able to expedite and, and really uh, kind of kick into gear existing initiatives to translate brochures into more languages. We also heard from staff that taking in the museum from the guest critics perspective helped to unpack potential implications of decisions that they had made from a design perspective. So, for example, we heard from an exhibition designer who laid out the museum's 20th century gallery that her choice to match the mannequins in the room to the white walls was, you know, really uh, unpacking that after hearing the critics speak about their experience and thinking about political implications of a decision that felt like a design one at the time. What's interesting about this, too, is you also made a documentary, which is going to be uh, linked to our website. Why did you do that? Yeah, so for us, it was what what Josephine was, was speaking to was really, as artists, um, this project 
straddles a lot of different spaces. So it, it straddles a bit of museum consulting, a bit of activism, a bit of art making and social practice. And for us as artists, we sort of celebrate the the interdisciplinarity and the ambiguous role that we occupy um, in, in both operating, in sort of operating at the intersection of where the institution meets the public. Um, so taking up that space right there. And, and so for us, it was really important as artists to bring in our ability to tell stories and to connect with people and to facilitate exchanges that wouldn't otherwise happen and conversations that that really are sensitive and that need a lot of um, careful consideration. So we were able to show this documentary to the RISD Museum staff, and that really was the main feedback, was having this emotional experience, especially for staff who don't interface with visitors often. So for staff who, that don't work at you know visitor services or education or public programs, that was especially helpful in terms of humanizing these issues that are often really abstracted. We talk about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. And um, that can often be a discussion of numbers. And that can also be a lot of speculating about what people want without actually just asking. So that was a way for us to really communicate that and foreground our critics in their very words. So a very exciting project, but where does it go now? What's the sustainability? Now what? Right now, we're working with critics from our pilot program to realize new art interventions at the RISD Museum. So critics are in dialogue with artists with roots in Providence who are working with critics as advisors to take on some of the critiques generated in our program and realize new work that highlights those issues and maybe even prototypes uh, possible ways of navigating them at the museum. So we have one of the collaborative groups is looking at politics of security and thinking about potential ways of rethinking sort of the, the balance that these institutions need to strike between protecting objects and also centering their visitors. We also have a group that's looking at signage and who currently registers the exterior of the museum as something that they could enter and thinking about playing with high and low kind of ways of communicating welcome. We also have a group that's bringing knowledge that the guest critics developed through handwritten notes directly onto a kind of plug-in to look, to look at the museum's website and look at this kind of institutional face through the lens of the guest critics' observations and notes about it. So these interventions are a way of really um, inviting artists and and the critics that we worked with to work together. And for us, it's a it's a mode of follow up and deepening that engagement. And now we're looking at um, thinking about how we can move this program um, to a, a possibly a larger scale and contribute to the larger movement of um, changing and transforming institutions. So we're thinking now about. Um, how to uh, develop and design Look at Art Get Paid to take place across a cohort of art institutions and what that might look like in terms of shared accountability, cross-institutional pollination, and the idea of a collective sort of citywide or region-wide um, kind of movement and commitment toward change. A lot more to come. Stay tuned. Maya Chow and Josephine Davenbu, two artists the artists behind Look at Art Get Paid, and two more of our creative minds out loud. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Anita. It's great to be here. 
To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.